Turn in your Bibles, if you will, this morning to John chapter 19. Gospel of John chapter 19. We'll look at the first 16 verses. <clears throat> Take a break from uh, our study of Luke uh, this week and next, and then we'll get back to it. <clears throat> As we've already noted, today is uh, Palm Sunday. The day the church recalls Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the delight and adulation of the crowds. Today we celebrate that Jesus is God's promised king. That was the point that day. So I want us to turn in this text in John 19 to a place where Jesus' kingship is again the central issue as it was on Palm Sunday. I count eight references in this little passage to Jesus' claim to be king. Oh, but the setting is so different from the triumph that we celebrate this morning. In this text, recording events which took place less than one week later, instead, Jesus of so instead of songs of celebration, Jesus is being repeatedly humiliated as he stands trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. What a contrast. What happened? Let's uh, see what we can learn. Let me read it. John 19, the first 16 verses. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to Jesus, Look, I'm bringing him out, and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to set you free or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judge's seat in the place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This morning I have just one truth I want us to reflect on for a few moments. And that is this, that Jesus is God's king. 
You cannot escape it. Jesus is God's king. And you cannot escape it. In this whole section, John mentions no one willing to accept and acknowledge Jesus' kingship. Not one. Indeed, all the players in this narrative are trying their best to resist or evade even the possibility that Jesus' claim might be true. And since that is really still the case in this world today, I thought it might be instructive for us to take note of the various courses of resistance that we find here. How people try to escape the fact that Jesus is God's king. For we certainly still encounter such resistance and even from within our own hearts, perhaps. So let's look at the various groups. There are three groups here, and I want to just look at each one. There's the soldiers, and then there's Pilate, and then there's the Jewish leaders. How did each of them resist Jesus' claim to be God's king? Well, first of all, the soldiers ignorantly mocked and brutalized him. They mocked and brutalized him. Our text begins with Pilate handing Jesus over to be flogged in verse 1. We'll talk about Pilate in a minute. But what takes place then at the hands of the soldiers is not some dispassionate uh, administration of punishment uh, by, by people unfortunate enough to have such a terrible job. No, these soldiers delighted in their brutality. They probably didn't even know Jesus, but they knew Jews and they hated the Jewish people in general. And so they picked up on the charge under which Jesus had been delivered to Pilate that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And suddenly, given the opportunity, all their pent-up hatred of the Jewish people was all unleashed into vengeance on this one Jew named Jesus. Though he had already been declared not guilty, they flogged him mercilessly. Actually, we know something about Roman floggings. There were three kinds of Roman floggings, some technical names for them that I won't uh, 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 bother you with. One was uh, probably what you'd call a public whipping. It was a, uh, a punishment for some lesser offense. And then there was kind of a serious flogging that was a pretty brutal punishment for uh, serious crimes. And then the third one was called the, 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 the ver- verberatio, And it was the most terrible of all. It was associated only with criminals about to be crucified. Let me read you a description of that most severe type of flogging. The victim was stripped, bound to a post or pillar, and beaten by a number of torturers until they grew tired, and the flesh of the victim hung in bleeding shreds. Scourges or whips were used. The leather thongs often fitted with a spike or several pieces of bone or lead joined to form a chain. So it's not surprising to hear that prisoners frequently collapsed and died under this procedure, this flogging. Now, when we compare the gospel accounts, it's not entirely certain whether Jesus received this, that kind of flogging at this point or received a lesser flogging here and then that flogging after he was sentenced to be crucified. What is certain is that he was the recipient of that kind of cruelty as the soldiers in their ignorance of him uh, 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 brutalized him and mocked him and brutalized him. But the flogging was only the beginning. In verse 2 and 3 we 
we, we see the way that Jesus' kingship was mocked by the soldiers. The soldiers finally had in their hands one called the king of the Jews, a, a people that they hated intensely. And so they vented their hatred on Jesus and made a crown. They made a crown of uh, j- the jagged spikes of the date palm. And, uh, and, and they crushed it down into his head so that the crown, the thorns, ripped his flesh. And then they put a purple robe on him and mockingly acted as if they were bowing down and acknowledging him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, only to hit him in the face. In fact, Matthew and Mark tell that they put a staff in his hand like a scepter, but then when they came up to mockingly pay homage to him, they hit him in the head with the staff and they spit in his face. With ignorant, malicious brutality. The soldiers responded to Jesus. They hated the Jewish people. They hated the Jews' narrow views of God. And now they would show this particular Jew that they would not tolerate him thinking he was a king. You know, folks, people still respond to Jesus that way. The mention of Jesus, especially talk about any authority that Jesus might have, still stirs up ignorant brutality in people who perhaps know nothing about it except that they will not have that Jesus having any authority over them. You've undoubtedly heard such ignorant mocking. Perhaps you've participated in it in the past. Why is it that Jesus Christ is a curse word? Is it because people think Jesus was so evil? Adolf Hitler's not a curse word. Or maybe it's that people think Jesus is so good. But you know, when people smash their finger, they don't say, Mother Teresa. Now you see, many people are just like the soldiers. They're ignorant and filled with hatred. And for sure, they will not have this Jesus thinking he's a king of anything. But Jesus is the king. And you can't escape it. Indeed, even the ignorant brutality of these soldiers served this king's great cause. For now, reigning at the right hand of the Father, Jesus has unparalleled sympathy for his people in distress. He understands what it's like to be stripped and humiliated and mocked and brutalized. Indeed, long ago he said to the prophet Isaiah, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And as we saw last week, by his stripes we are healed. So this morning, for you who have suffered ignorant brutality, I hold before you King Jesus. In your pain, don't run from him. Run to him. He understands abuse. He's been there. He's walked in your shoes. And now from the right hand of the Father, he calls you to himself that he might heal your wounds. He is the king. The king of mercy. But there's another response that Jesus king, to King Jesus' kingship, and that's, the response of Pilate. Pilate, with an uneasy conscience, tried to evade the issue. 
the soldiers mocked and brutalized Jesus. Pilate just tried to evade the issue. Actually, Pilate's the most pathetic figure here. He's a Roman governor. It's a position of some authority, some significance. But he's a coward. He's driven by self-protective ambition. Throughout this whole section, Pilate is trying to release Jesus. He knows Jesus is not guilty. He's already said so back in chapter 8. I find no basis for a charge against him. He says it again in verse 4. He says it again in verse 6. Three times he pronounces him not guilty. But he's too much of a politician looking after his own skin to just let the innocent man go free. He's driven by the law of political expediency. And so Pilate tries everything he knows to escape facing the issue of Jesus' kingship. First, Pilate thinks, well, if he has Jesus flogged, then it will satisfy these hostile Jewish leaders. That's how Jesus found himself in the hands of the soldiers. What a spineless move on Pilate's part. He's already pronounced a man innocent, and he hands him over to be flogged. Trying to escape. Dealing with it. Then when Jesus returns, bloody and beaten from the flogging, verse 5, Pilate sets him before the people and he says, Behold the man. Look at him. Look at him. Apparently Pilate hoped that seeing Jesus all bloodied and obviously very unkingly, that the Jews would be satisfied and drop the charges. But, and then Pilate would be off the hook. He would ever have to make the hard decision. They would have just gone away. But the plan backfires for when the Jewish leaders see Jesus so humiliated, their bloodthirst only increases, and they begin to cry, crucify, crucify. So Pilate tries another tactic. He tries to pass the buck. He says, well, you'd crucify him. I don't find any fault with him, in verse 6. Now, Pilate knew that they could not legally crucify Jesus, but he wanted off the hook. He wanted some kind of solution Something short of standing up for justice and making a decision and looking the issue in the face and, and letting the innocent man go free. Then the real issue comes out. For in verse 7, the Jews said, He must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. In other words, if Pilate won't see Jesus as a criminal, a, a minister to society and punish him, then... Pilate, you need to understand that he's violated our laws. He's claimed to be the Son of God, and we can't put up with that. And you are bound to uh, look after our concerns. <coughs> well, now Pilate wants out even more. Pilate is certainly a pagan, but he's a very suspicious, uh, superstitious man. This talk about Jesus being the Son of God disturbs him. And so he goes back inside, and he takes Jesus in there and says, Where did you come from? And Jesus won't talk to him. And he, and, and he strikes out at Jesus and says, Don't you realize I have the power to either set you free or crucify you? To which Jesus responds, You don't have any power except what's been given to you uh, from above. Jesus is talking as if he does indeed have a connection to God. Now Pilate really wants to escape the situation. He really wants to find some way to set Jesus free. Oh, but Pilate is about to be defeated 
by his own cowardly political expediency. For in verse 12, the Jews play their trump card. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar, for anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now Pilate's finished. His moral commitment to selfish ambition has caught him in a helpless trap. A hopeless trap. There's no way out. He must either crucify an innocent man or, 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 or commit suicide for his own career. The Jews are clearly threatening to destroy his career by claiming he was soft on an insurrectionist, as if they really cared about that. And so Pilate takes the official judgment seat to do not what is right, but to do what's politically expedient. And in verse 16, delivers up Jesus, a man found innocent in his own court, pronounced innocent three times by Pilate, to hand him over to be crucified. Pilate is a pathetic figure, desperately trying to squirm free, but hopelessly impaled on his own ambition and lack of integrity. He would never face the issue of who is this Jesus really. He only functioned by the law of expediency. And folks, there are a lot of people like Pilate in the world still. Maybe not in his position. But people who just don't want to think about it. People who want to evade the issue completely. Take no stand one way or the other. But folks, Jesus is thrust upon us. We cannot just ignore the issue. Either he is the king, the son of God, the promised Messiah. Or he is a blasphemer, a madman, a troublemaker who deserves to be punished. Which is it? Which is it? See, you can't escape the issue either. All of our evasive maneuvering will not deliver us from the issue. It won't go away. Jesus is the king. You will either acknowledge his lordship and bow in, 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 in allegiance at his feet, or like Pilate, you will find yourself, even if unwillingly, giving him up to be crucified, so to speak. There's no middle ground. If you try to sit on the fence to remain neutral, it's more than I tell you, it's impossible. You cannot. Jesus is the king, and you cannot escape it either. Knowing what a king he's proven to be. For just as Jesus said, the power was not in Pilate's hand, but in the Father's hands. Pilate, even in his wicked, spineless injustice, only played into God's great plan. That's what the apostles understood later in Acts 4. As they prayed, listen to their prayer. They say, Sovereign Lord, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles of the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But, listen to this line. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. You see what the apostles are saying? Jesus is the king, and Pilate's evasive political maneuvering cannot uh, escape his sovereign rule. He is still sovereign. He is still calling the shots. And the apostles found great comfort in that as they faced their own suffering. And there's great comfort in that for you and for me today, too, that Jesus is the sovereign king.
Well, finally, there's a third group of people here. You have the soldiers who resisted Jesus, resisted Jesus with ignorant brutality. You have Pilate who, uh, with evasive uh, expediency, tried everything to evade the issue. And then, thirdly, you have the Jewish leaders who resist, resisted Jesus' kingship in conscious rebellion. Conscious rebellion. Pilate may be a pathetic figure. We've seen a lot of pathetic politicians. But this is a spiritual tragedy. Notice how Pilate mocks these leaders. Pilate cares nothing about Jesus. Jesus is nothing to him at all. But he hates these Jewish leaders. They cause him all kinds of grief. And so even as he delivers Jesus up to be crucified, he's in their face about it, scornfully. Here is your king. Now, he knew they did not acknowledge him as their king, but he's in their face. Here is your king. Take him away, they shout. He says, shall I crucify your king? Can you just hear Pilate's sarcasm and scorn? These Jewish leaders are being humiliated by Pilate. And how much humiliation will they put up with? Just to get rid of Jesus. Just to get rid of Jesus. Oh, but it gets even worse. The chief priests answer, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Bruce Milne, a Bible teacher up in Vancouver, now retired, explains the significance of that statement. Let me read you a bit of his comments. This fateful utterance, we have no king but Caesar, represents nothing less than the rending of the sacred covenant with God. Nothing was more fundamental to that covenant than the kingship of God over the world in general, and in a special way, over his chosen people Israel. It was a conviction that no invading power could weaken or eradicate, whether Persian or Syrian or Greek or Roman. As Isaiah wrote, O Lord our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. Secure in that conviction, the Jews waited patiently through the long centuries for the appearing of God's Messiah to vindicate Israel's faith and establish his rule visibly and powerfully over the whole world. But now, in this one terrible moment of apostasy, that sacred covenant is violated. And the holy place is desecrated as centuries of anticipation are cast aside and they say, we have no king but Caesar. It is nothing less than an abandonment of their messianic hope. You see what happened here? These leaders were so determined to escape the rule of Jesus that they were willing to enslave themselves to Rome, the pagan state, if that's what it took to get rid of him. And folks, that option still plays out before our eyes in the world. Even today, it's Christ or Caesar. We will acknowledge Jesus as Lord or we will be 
uh, enslaved by pagan statism, by governmental tyranny. When people will not obey his word and trust Christ Jesus, they almost immediately put their trust in the state. Expect it to be their Messiah, to solve their problems and make them happy. But the tragedy is these people knew better. These are the leaders of Israel. They have God's word. They had the prophets. They had the testimonies. They have seen Jesus with their eyes and heard him with their ears. But they would not have him as their king, no matter what the cost. And so this morning I talk real straight to you. Especially to you like me, who are children of the covenant, whether young or old. You have been born into this Christian faith as your birthright. You see, we stand right where these Jewish leaders stood. I know you want to be popular and you want to be like everybody else, but you belong to the Lord. You are God's covenant child. It's your birthright. It's his claim upon you from the beginning. And as a child of the covenant, you are obligated to acknowledge Jesus as Lord in every part of your life. He is the king. And you belong to him. You cannot escape it. But you may be tempted to do just what these Jewish leaders did. To want your own way so much that you are willing to sell yourself into slavery to the world rather than have Jesus be your king. But lest you ever entertain such a notion, this morning let me tell you what be, uh, uh, the life became miserable for these people who this day said, we have no king but, Jesus, but, but Caesar. In just a few years, they were massacred in 70 AD. The Roman army came in and, and destroyed Jerusalem and burned it to the ground and slaughtered people. And finally, after a desperate last stand on a hilltop in a place called Masada, the last resistors committed mass suicide. And for almost 2,000 years since then, the hatred of the world has seldom led up toward these dear people. But do you see what happened? They abandoned God's covenant. They chose to put themselves at the mercy of the world, thinking it was more agreeable than the lordship of Christ. But the world is merciless. And they've been paying the price ever since. A terrible price. Dear child of the covenant, I tell you, there is nothing this world could ever offer you that comes close to comparing with the blessing of being a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Better yet, being a child of God. No matter how enticing the things of the world might look, at a given moment, they will burn in your stomach for years if you take them and eat them. Don't sell out your faith for the trinkets of the world, the pleasure, the power, the popularity. Trust Jesus, the great King. He loves you. The world doesn't love you. He loves you. And he knows what's best for you, even though you only think you do. Only under his rule will you find true 
freedom. Oh, but you know, even in the sellout of these Jewish leaders, King Jesus still shows himself sovereign. They may reject him, they may refuse his rule, but they cannot thwart his kingdom. Psalm 2 promised that. In Psalm 2 we read that he who sits in the heavens laughs at their rebellion. He scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I will install my holy king on Mount Zion anyway. (laughs) That's exactly what God did. They hung him on a cross. God raised him from the dead. They rejected him. God, he, he ascended into heaven. God seated him at his right hand and gave him authority over all kingdoms and over all titles and over all nations and over everything. Jesus is God's king. You cannot escape it. And so his plan continues today. In Romans 11, the, the apostle Paul explains how their disobedience worked out God's sovereign will. That because of the Jews' transgression of rejecting Christ, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. And and the Gentiles are being grafted into this tree of God's people, God's kingdom. The tree that they were cut off from. And Israel has experienced a hardening in part while the Gentiles are gathered in. I tell you this morning, Jesus is the king. You cannot escape it. Through uh, Through their conscious rebellion, Israel thought they would get rid of Jesus. But now his kingdom is spreading throughout the whole world. Not just among Jews, but among every race and nation and every tribe and people and every clan and every language and every culture. As the good news of the kingdom of God is preached to the Gentiles. Though God's covenant blessings which they rejected have passed them by. At least for now. Jesus is the king. You can't escape it. Some like the soldiers still ignorantly mock and brutalize him. Some like Pilate play political games doing whatever is expedient to avoid facing the issue. Some like the Jewish leaders with their eyes wide open defect from his kingdom into the slavery, into slavery to the world. But this Palm Sunday, the truth still stands firm. Jesus is the king. He's no longer riding into Jerusalem on, on, on the colt of a donkey with his feet dragging on the ground looking humble. Nor is he any longer humiliated in Pilate's courtroom, nor is he hanging on a Roman cross. Today this Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, exalted as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The 18th century Irish hymn writer Thomas Kelly expressed it this way. Look ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. From the fight return victorious, every knee to him shall bow. Crown him, crown him. Crowns become the victor's brow. Sinners in derision crowned him, mocking thus the Savior's claim. Now saints and angels crowd around him, own his title, praise his name. Crown him, crown him, spread abroad the victor's fame. Jesus is the king. You can't escape it. Amen. Let's pray. Well, the Lord, thank you that... uh, your great plan that who the Messiah is and what he's come to do is not uh, dependent upon the, the good intentions of uh, nations or individuals. Thank you, Lord, that you work your sovereign plan, that the kingdom of Christ advances, 
even as even in places where his name is hated people continue to believe to embrace him to find forgiveness new life in him even where people are slaughtered the church continues to grow Lord we look forward to the day that the name of Jesus is acknowledged in all the world and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord so whatever our situation may we be found faithful to what you told us concerning your son give us a grace to never turn away no matter what in his name we pray amen